How many have enjoyed the teaching on Jude? Yeah, my goodness, great stuff. And um, I told Pastor Greg on a couple of occasions, I said, I really feel like God set us up on this one. I, you know, we, we pray about, he prays about where to go, bounces it off the teaching team, the staff. What do you think about this book? What do you think about that? Because he has a conviction, and I think rightfully so, the longer I've been part of this house of teaching through the Scripture verse by verse. Not that Jesus did all the time. I mean, he taught topically a lot. That's what he primarily did. But verse through verse, verse by verse through the Scripture, I don't think any of us saw what was going to be in this book until we got into it. Therefore, the Holy Spirit knew, and He knows what we need. And what a time for some of the topics in, in what we're discussing through this book. If you haven't been with us, all the sermons are archived. All the sermons are on podcast. I encourage you to go and look at the teaching. And um, so, and even if you have, go through them again. You know, I've, I've listened to them a couple times myself, some of them, and each time it's kind of like reading the Scripture in the sense that God will speak something else to you. Verse 12, we finished up with Caleb, or Caleb, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, and if, if I was God, I don't think I would have picked those three biblical, Old Testament biblical carriers. I would have picked Moses, Noah, and maybe Elijah. Okay. Um, they're kind of obscure, and if you don't know, go back and listen to the message. But I, one of the statements Pastor Greg met, made was, ask yourself, what is the run rate of your behavior? Both positive and negative. God says, I put blessing and curses. If you walk in curses, you're going to be cursed. It's not that God's up there cursing people. He says, if you do this, you will, it'll end up in cursing your life. If you do this, you'll be blessed. It's that simple. And so we need to ask ourselves, the activities that I am doing, what is going to be the run rate? How far can I continue down this path before I either reap positive or negative things? And so it's a great question to ask. Verse 12, when these people eat with you, these false prophets... In your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, other translation says love feast, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who only care for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit, and they've been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea churning up foam for, of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed with the blackest darkness. I want to read the Passion Translation. These false teachers are like hidden reefs at your love feast, lying in wait to shipwreck the immature. They feast among you without reverence. They have no shepherd but themselves. What a statement. They have no shepherd but themselves. They are clouds with no rain swept along by the wind. Like fruitless late autumn trees, twice dead. They're barren and then they're plucked up by the roots. They're like waves of the sea flinging out their foam of shame and disgrace. They're misleading like wandering stars for whom the complete darkness of eternal doom has been reserved. What is God saying to us as vintage believers? Because hopefully there's not a bunch of false prophets sitting out in the crowd, and hopefully I'm not one, okay? So what is he saying to us? What is he trying to speak? 
The purpose of the love feast in the New Testament, when I, when I became a Christian in the um, early 70s, we had rap sessions. It wasn't with Snoop Dogg. It was, it was rap. We called them rap sessions from the 70s where we got together and talked about stuff. And then, um, and basically, whoever was the Christian the longest became the one that talked the most. And true story, I mean, a bunch of us got saved, and we just started meeting in the house. And then we would call our gatherings love feast. I think it's interesting. We were very scriptural. But a love feast in the New Testament, every time they met, there are four dynamics that the early church had. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, so the teaching of the scriptures, to fellowship, to prayer, and to breaking of bread and the Lord's table. Those were the four aspects. So whenever they ate together, they also had, they had communion or bread and cup together, and they also learned or were taught something. They prayed together, and they had fellowship. That was the love feast. And, and Jude is saying that these false prophets come into your love feast, and they shipwreck people unawares. They, they are harsh. They are hidden, and they do stuff that you don't, aren't, aren't even aware of what's the path they're taking you down. I think we need to, because when, when Jude wrote this, everybody in the New Testament knew exactly what he was talking about with these five different examples of what would take place. Um, we, as 2021 20, believers in North America, very seldom miss a meal. We very seldom have to eke out our existence. But if you've ever been to a third world country, it is not like us. I remember going to Haiti the first time, and they, in the offering was an egg, a couple eggs. There was a fruit of some type. There was even a chicken hanging out on the, the uh, counter that was going to be offered up as a meal sacrifice. Actually, um, no, not a sacrifice, our meal. And so it just struck me at the time, because I was very young, I don't know what that's like. I don't even know what it's like to, even a hundred years ago, what it was like in this country. People literally scratching out their life existence, not knowing where their next meal would come from. And that is the examples that he's using. He says, they're love feast with purposely hidden dangers. They are clouds rushed along by the wind with no rain. You ever been somewhere where it's so dry? I mean, I'm, I was shocked when I moved here how dry Colorado is. But what I was really shocked was when I moved to California from Washington. <laughs> Washington is wet all the time. Um, but California, it was it would literally in the Bay Area, it would stop raining in sometime like March, maybe April at the latest, and wouldn't start raining again until late, late fall, even in the winter. And if you've understood now, they're in a terrible drought. And as I told the second gathering, maybe, just maybe, God's trying to get our nation's attention by one-third of our country being in drought. Because if you understand the Scripture, whenever God withheld rain, He was always knocking on people's hearts, just a sidebar. But it would not rain, and then it would come in and, and rain once in a while. But what I've noticed since I've been here is you see the clouds building in the mountains, and you think, oh, 
button down the hatches. Nope, that just blew over, went clear across I-25. Now it's raining in Windsor or something. You know, it's like it literally like skips over, and that's the idea. You are begging for rain. You are wanting it to have some moisture, and you see these clouds, and they have all the appearance of bringing a, a shower, and nothing happens. That's the idea of this false teaching. They are fruitless late autumn trees that are doubly dead, it says. My sister lives in Southern California, and they used to live in Orange County. They moved probably 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago now, up in the hills outside of Palm Springs, between Palm Springs and Riverside. And you drive up, and there used to be these beautiful orange groves everywhere. And then, all of a sudden, the trees just died because they quit watering them. And now if you go up there, they have these piles, stacks of these dead orange trees, just in heaps because of water. The moisture, the churning sea that produces just foam. And he likens it to shame. If you, one thing I do miss about the West Coast is I miss the ocean sometimes. And the fact of you can look out on the waves, and even when the waves have receded and the tide has gone out, there'll still be this foam, but the longer it's there, the nastier and dirtier it looks. But from above, like if you're looking over a cliff, it almost looks like water again. Then the wandering stars that are supposed to bring direction. That's how they navigated. And yet they've lost their course. It's also symbolic of Isaiah 14 where Satan says, I will be like God, I will be like the Most High. And a third of the stars of heaven, speaking of the angelic beings, fell from heaven and now they're the demonic host. And so what we got to understand is all of these are pictures of things that the people would understand that they should, you should have, um, Love feast that should be something where you got together for the apostles' doctrine, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. You would have these, these um, trees that would produce fruit. If you were walking in the Holy Land, you had the Jewish culture was that they didn't glean all of the fields. They would allow the edges and some of the crops to remain. They would allow certain fruit trees to remain so that the poor and needy or those that were traveling could look down the road, see a tree that's supposed to be in autumn and supposed to have fruit. It's like, finally, we have something we can stop and eat for a minute. They would get there, and the tree would be um, without fruit. It's why Jesus cursed the fig tree. It's not that he hates figs. Um, that's a joke. Um, that, thank you, one person got it. That's awesome. It, he cursed the fig tree because it had all of the markings of being fruitful, but it didn't have any fruit on it. And so, therefore, he cursed the fig tree because of, it's like you're taking up space, number one. You're taking water from the ground, and you're not producing anything. Right now, I have an apple tree in my backyard that the squirrels are loving. Maybe I'll get one apple out of it by the time they're done. But the thing is, apples aren't produced in March. They're normally produced in October. Why? Because you need a growing season, and then the fruit is produced. That's the idea that he's talking about here. And so there's a couple of things that I felt like the Lord really wanted me to bring home this morning. And the first is this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge others or you will be judged. How many have ever heard that passage of Scripture? Anybody have that thrown in their face when you're trying to share with somebody? Don't judge me. 
I like the people that ask you for an opinion, you give them your opinion, and then you're judging them. And all you're doing is sharing the Scripture. And we aren't to be judged just to judge. Matter of fact, in verse 2 it says, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard which you will be judged. We always hear about somebody railing against some sin, and they're participating in the same thing in darkness. That's what Jesus is trying to address here. He's talking about if you're going to talk about it, live it. Wouldn't that be awesome if the church lived what they talked about, me included, all the time? But then he goes on in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every good tree produces good fruit, and every bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I want to ask you something. If we are not to judge, then how are we going to know if people are false prophets? By their fruit. But the fact is, you've got to judge the fruit. You've got to look. Is that... An apple tree producing apples. If, if, and so this, this fallacy that we can never make judgment calls is almost paralyzed the church in this age. And yes, we have been self-righteous. We, we've been arrogant. We've been talking about everybody else. You know, the longer you're a Christian, the less you remember what being a non-Christian is like, hopefully. Right? And so, therefore, we forget what it was like, but the fact is, we are called to bring judgment on the world by our lives. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't have to, the woman at the well, did he, did he judge what she was doing? Go get your husband. Oh, I'm not married. I know, you've had five of them. And the guy you're with now, you're not married to. How many believe that's a judgment call? But what did it do? It had fruit because it brought something in her own life. And I'm not talking about us just walking around calling out sin to everybody. I'm talking about this. I have people all the time ask me my opinion on something. Hopefully my opinion is based on the Scripture. I give them the Scripture, and then they think, well, you're just judging me. No, you didn't really want to hear my opinion then. You didn't want to hear what God had to say. You didn't want to hear what the Word had to say. And you say, well, there's so many interpretations of the Scripture. No, 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 no. We misunderstand the Scripture. He doesn't, he says there's no shifting shadow in Him. There's no gray area in God. It's black or white with Jesus. I just want you to know that. Now, we have a hard time interpreting it sometimes. But if somebody says, is, X, is this sin... Is this activity wrong for me? Two things I ask. What is the run rate? What's it going to do for you? And is, what does the Scripture say about it? If the Scripture says one thing, I don't care what society is telling me. I don't care what everybody on the news is telling me. Uh, God says this is wrong. Whatever it may be, whatever activity it may be. Now, the only way we really change that is allowing people to have their heart regenerated by the Holy Spirit, of course. But the fact is, we need to be released. The book of Jude is nothing more than making judgment calls. By the way, Paul says the law is for whom? They're lawless, yeah. 
The law is for the lawless. I don't have a fear of speeding when I'm not speeding. I don't have to slam on my brakes at a, at a radar or, oh no, there's a red light camera coming up. I need to make sure I don't run that red light. Why? Because there's a camera there? Because you may get T-boned, ding dong. Right? Isn't it true? I mean, so the law is for the lawless. It's, I don't have a problem with rules when I don't want to break them. We've all th- thrown ourselves on our bed as a kid and going, my parents are so mean. You know, they're terrible to me. My mom's favorite statement to me that I hated was, I'm not Billy's mom. <laughs> I can't argue with that. No, you're not. You're my mom. And my mom says I have to do this. Rules are to be kept sometimes. When there's no law, it is anarchy. It is crazy. Man will go nuts if there's no law. And so God puts laws in Scripture to teach us that we can't obey them. The law is a tutor. It's to show us that we need a Savior. And that's what's so beautiful about Christianity. He gives us a list of demands But then he says, you can't do this, so I'm going to send my son to do them for you, and then you accept his sacrifice for your wrong behavior. No other religion does that. It's all trying to strive and claw and somehow reach, you know, godhood or nirvana or something. I almost said karma. That's what you get when you try it on your own way. So we are called to judge. We are called to inspect fruit. Don't feel guilty about inspecting fruit. If somebody says, I'm a believer, and they're doing 100 things in Scripture that says you're not, guess what? There's a pretty good indication either you're real immature, you're a pagan, or you're just a liar. Me too. The second thing is Satan will lie in the weeds for a long time. He'll look for an opportune time in our life. How many know his opportune times are not necessarily yours? Matter of fact, that's why they're opportune times. He'll look to trip you up. He'll lie in wait. Matter of fact, getting into harbor is difficult at times when you don't understand the obstacles. And why did they have lighthouses? To say, rock ahead, you are going to die. Right? Why was that? Because somebody wrecked their boat and died. So they put up a lighthouse after numerous people did it. We need somebody to navigate this for us. When we lived on the Columbia River just about 40 minutes from the mouth of the Columbia at Astoria, Oregon. We lived in Longview, Washington. They would have river pilots, and they would have Columbia bar pilots that would take the boats. So here these guys are seafarers. They have, that's their livelihood. They are pilots of these giant ships. But when they got off the coast to come into the Columbia River, they had one pilot that would take them over the Columbia Bar. What was the Columbia Bar? It's where the Columbia River would rush into the ocean, deposit all sorts of stuff over the years, and only certain pilots knew how to navigate that. It was a terrible, I mean, people died, especially when they were first exploring, because they didn't understand, I'm just going to go up this river. Here's this mighty river flowing out, the ocean's coming in, depositing all this stuff. So you'd have a pilot there, and then you'd have a pilot take over to to pilot the river. 
How many of you know sometimes we need somebody else to pilot our boat for us, to show us where the things, where, where the obstacles lie, where we need help? And that's what the Scripture's for. I can't make it without rules and regulations and to show me because I am prone. Paul says that which I don't want to do, I constantly am doing, and that which I do want to do, I would never do. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Not what, not where can I go, it's who. His name is Jesus. The third thing is this. Low watermarks in our life many times reveal the obstacles to our path. How many of you like feeling great about things all the time and having hope, faith, never being sick, always having lots of money? How many would sign up for that? But how many of you know sometimes you learn how to navigate life by low watermarks in our life? How many, I like Nat Geo most of the time. And there's a show on National Geographic Channel that's called Draining the Oceans or Draining the Seas. And what they do is they take sonar and map out the bottom of this body of water. I've seen it on the Great Lakes. I've seen it on like the Caspian Sea. I've seen it on... The Pacific, almost a Pacific Ocean. I used to say when I was little, Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean is the one you're in. Um, and so they would, they show the sonar, and then they, by computer generated, they take the water out, and you can see where all the mountain ridges are in the ocean, maybe a shipwreck, maybe. How many would love that for life? I would love when you got, when you became of age to understand that God would take your life and say, Gary, here's all the sonar map of your life, and these are all the obstacles you're going to have. So you need to avoid this, 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 and this. That would be awesome. But guess what? Thy word, your word, God, is a light into my path. We need to know the word. If we don't understand Scripture, we're not going to understand life. And it is our sonar. And sometimes when God allows trouble or pressure in our life to, to lower maybe our expectation or to even lower what, what we're experiencing in life, He allows that to show us, Gary, there's an obstacle, and you've hit that a couple times. Maybe I'm trying to show you to avoid that, take this path. And yet we hate low watermark. I love the scripture in Isaiah where he says, he'll raise the valleys and lower the mountains and set us on a highway called holiness. What's holiness? Holiness is being separated unto God. It, it's not just how we live, it's being separated to live for him. And so he sets us on this path where we are allowed to, he does raise up valleys and lower mountaintops. The path of the righteous is to be like the light of dawn, brighter and brighter until the full day. God doesn't want your life to be all misery and trouble. That's not what he's, but in the world you're going to have it. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world, he says in John 16. 
We need to understand that God allows things in our life to show us so that we can be an example to others and to even ourselves. This is how you live. This is what I'm doing. I, I read a passive scripture years and years and years and years and years and years ago. That was a long time. <laughs> if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, how will you do in the thickets of the Jordan? And I'm like, obviously not very good. And so God sometimes allows us to learn the ropes. When a, kid, when a child is learning how to walk, you may have to move some obstacles out of their path to, teach, to help them learn. I always use the example when my son was little, we had a throw rug, and he kept tripping over the throw rug when he's like, you know, 10 months old, started walking already, nine actually, and he was running around, he tripped, and so instead of me leaving the rug there, I moved it till he learned how to navigate, and then we put the rug back. But we think God is like, bad boy, learn how to walk over that rug. He's nine months old. God needs to teach us sometimes how to walk in the ground so that we can run with horses, how to navigate the open ground so that we can run through the thickets. In Washington, they had this stuff called vine maple. It grows, it, it's a, literally a maple tree, and it grows about this high off the ground, and it is, is a tangled mess of just mess. And you get trapped in there, and people literally died because they can't get out. That's what I thought about when I read this, about getting caught in that. And what, you know what I learned? You could actually, if you got the roots, if you saw the base of the tree big enough, you could actually step on those and step over. It's when you got tangled in the mess. So if you step above the stuff, you can make the path. The fourth thing, and I'm done, is I want to be a person that promises a lot and delivers a lot. You don't have to answer this question, but how many of you were raised in a family where there were a lot of promises made, but very few kept? What's that do to your trust level? The rest of your life, you're suspicious. You're suspicious not only of God, you're suspicious of anybody in a, your spouse should you get married, anybody you hang out with. Two things. Sometimes God allows people to disappoint us so that we don't get our focus on people. Pastors disappoint you. Isn't that encouraging? Why? Because they're people. Bosses will disappoint you. If you haven't been married very long, I want to give you a little secret. Your spouse is going to disappoint you. But guess what? You're going to disappoint your spouse. And not that we'd say, oh, well, I, Pastor Gary said I'm going to disappoint you, so suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> no, it's like we need to understand that God has a standard for us, so we need to keep our word, but people are going to disappoint us. The second thing is we need with all of our being through the Lord to remove things in our life 
that are stumbling blocks so that we don't put obstacles in somebody's way to keep them from Christ. I've shared with you before, I did a series about 32 weeks on the cities of refuge out of the book of Leviticus in Deuteronomy. The paths to the cities of refuge were super highways. They crossed rivers. They had signs pointing when they came to a fork in the road. They had caches of supplies along the way. Why? Because they didn't want the avenger of blood to catch the person before they could get to the city of refuge. I want to be that type of person. I want to be the type of person that says, follow me as I follow Christ. Do what, sometimes I'm going to make mistakes, but overall, let's push in, let's press in together. Let's be people of our word. Amen? Our word should be our bond. It should be able to be able to say, it should be able to be able to be able to say. <laughs> How many times am I going to say that? To be able to say about us that, you know what? They were godly because they kept their word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lessons of Jude. God, I pray that Vintage will be a place where there's not obstacles put in people's path or hidden. But Lord, there'd be a very clear demarcation of what we believe, who we are, what you called us to be. God, I thank you for each person that is listening today that there's grace to fulfill what you're asking us to do. There's the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. There's the power that comes with the ability to do what you've asked. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>